Um, we are going to continue in our series called Being Rich in What Matters Most, um, because if you're like me, uh, we can get a little crazy about money. Uh, and so we've been working through Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 through 7, and uh, last week and this week, we're going to be talking about stress that he has talking about money in chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 19 and work forward at that point. Um, but maybe some of you, church has been a really uncomfortable place because of money. You're just like, man, the church is out to get people's money. That's what they're all about. You know, that's why I don't come to church. Um, we rent this place, okay, for one. So uh, we, we don't have a building of our own. We don't have a lot of money. And we've actually fought hard for that not to be the case here at our church. We want to be radically generous towards our community. So what I want you to hear is if that's been part of your story, we get you. We've been there. And we're going to fight hard against that. Um, really today, what we're going to talk about is not how can we get your money, but how can all of us be freed from the anxiety that often plagues us about money? That's the topic today. How do we get free from money anxiety? Now, this is what I found out. This is a real issue in America, a real issue, uh, because given all the wealth that we have and all the stuff that we have, we're actually one of the wealthiest nations in the world. It still doesn't help us with money anxiety. In fact, America is said to be the most anxious nation on the planet. Number one, the New York Times actually had an article uh, that was uh, based on some research done at the National Alliance of Mental Health Illness, and this is what they found. They, they found that 18% of Americans, almost one in five, uh, displays some sort of an anxiety disorder. Almost one in five. And according to the World Health Organization, it said that almost half of Americans display symptoms of one or more lifetime mental disorders with some sort of an anxiety about something. So the stats are out there saying there's something wrong <laughs> in what we're doing in America that's leading towards anxiety. And even if we're the wealthiest nation on the planet or at least one of the top, money and our stuff is not helping. So... I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to money stuff, I feel like that's one of the areas that can so quickly grip me in the area of anxiety. And so today, man, what we're going to talk about is how do we get free from this? Because God doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want that to have a massive grip on our life. So he's leading us in a pathway to get free from the anxiety that can so plague us when it comes to money and stuff. So the questions are, how do we get free from it? And what's this pathway look like to get out of anxiety. So here we go. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 19. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We talked a little bit about this last week, but we're going to get into it in a little bit deeper way today. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus wants us to know from right off the bat here. He says that money anxiety is a treasure issue. And you're like, you know, money, treasure, same thing. No, what he's saying is that there's some things in life that we treasure at an ultimate level. And when we've got anxiety about money, it's dealing with some of our highest levels of treasure, what we cling to, what we long for most in life. And he says, really, basically, there's two different pathways that we can take when it comes to money. We can treasure heavenly things or we can treasure earthly things. Now, what's an earthly thing? An earthly thing is basically anything that's vulnerable to the corrosive effects of time. 
<laughs> I mean, what do we own materially that couldn't just go up at any moment? I mean, we've got houses, right? We love our, our places that we, we live in, but they can go up in a second in flames. Our health can deteriorate. We know that our bodies are eventually going to sag on us. Even that's not going to last. Look, I'm like 33 and I figured out, I know why Jesus stopped living at 33 because his body does not get better after 33. I was like, that's a good plan, okay? All right, that's not in the Bible. Don't, don't, all right. Anyway, um, there's so many different things that we can rely on if at a physical level that could just quickly be destroyed. So what he's saying at an earthly level is temporary. At a heavenly level is something that's going to last forever. So he said, we've got a pathway here. We can choose one or the other. Now, when it comes to moths and vermin, what do we got there? We got things that eat away slowly, nibble by nibble by nibble, slowly eating away at something, leading to a compromise in something's integrity so that it's useless or worthless. Think about moths eating away clothing. You got holes in it anymore. It's integrity as a clothing, as a fabric is compromised. It's not useful as an article of clothing anymore, okay? Don't show up with your moth-eaten sweater or nothing like that. Like nobody wants to see you in that, okay? Now, for just, just for you guys to get a little window into my life on this one, we got a vermin problem at my house right now. Okay, we got mouse issues. Uh, and if there are mouse experts in the house, please see me afterwards, okay? Because we got some issues. We've been getting like the traps, like the legitimate, like old school traps that, you know, snap when they, they take the, the bait. Yeah, they've been taking the bait and no trap. Like, I don't know what's going on with these mice. They're super smart. Uh, we get the high class traps where you can trap them on the inside and it like, you know, somehow gets them inside it. They're not even going into those. They're like, yep, seen that, not gonna do that. So we're on our couch and like reading at night or watching something and we hear the pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter, like in the walls behind us going up and down in the ceiling. It's disgusting. There's one night, not, not gonna lie, uh, we were sitting on our couch and we're a little worried about this and then all of a sudden out of the corner of our eye, whoop, he comes in from the kitchen and scoots right under the couch, like right underneath us. I'm like, bold little sucker, you know, all of about a half a pound. I'm, look, I wish I could say that I handled it like a man. <laughs> but it went something like this. Ah! <laughs> That's like, I like ran into the corner and I did something like this. Like, just stared at the couch and be like, please go away. Can it just go away if I just stare long enough? That's what I did, okay? And I busted out a broom from downstairs and I went to go whack the thing because Charity's like, you got to kill it. This is going to eat our baby boy if you don't kill this mouth right now. So, so like I'm, I'm using this broom, I'm whacking it underneath the couch and like couldn't get it because the stupid thing is so smart. Long story short, after about 25 minutes, I finally won that battle. Yes, a 170 pound man battling a half pound figure, you know, this little creature. I won that battle and it was pathetic. Uh, anyway, but there's holes in my walls now because of this mouse. They're chewing away some of the holes. And here's what Jesus is saying. When we put our hope in temporary things, there's something on the inside of us that's gonna start getting corroded. That when we put our hope in money and material things, our hearts are going to slowly have the effect of corrosion on the inside of us that's going to start compromising our integrity. And we're going to start making uh, decisions that are harmful and have pathways towards anxiety that are destructive. That's what he's saying here. We got a mouse problem in our hearts, all right? <laughs> you can take that and just walk home with that. Here's the craziest thing, okay? People do wild things with money. 
and the anxiety over it all. I, I had dinner with a friend of mine last night who's from Sri Lanka and his sister uh, is battling some of the sex trafficking in areas like Cambodia and Thailand. And we found out that Cambodia and Thailand are like their number one economic value in those countries is sex trafficking. It's under the radar, but that's how their economies are thriving. Do you know that those countries, because they're so slave to more and money, they're selling little girls so that they can get more money. You talk about the corrosive effects of money. The stock market crashed in 2008. We know that our wealth is fragile at best. People jumped out of buildings because they lost money. They jumped out of buildings. The integrity of a country, the integrity of a person, even the integrity of families as we become slaves to credit card debt and mortgages and all this stuff, it gets compromised when we just become slaves to more. And this is what Jesus wants to free us from when it comes to anxiety over stuff and money. It's like, I don't want this pathway to be your pathway. I don't want you to get to the place that if you lose some of this stuff, you're willing to plunge yourself out of a building. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. He said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, at this point, you know, some of us might be thinking, well, is money, is stuff the problem? You know, uh, we are wealthy. And we learned that last week. Like the good news is that we're rich and the bad news is that we're rich. You know, if you're making $33,000, you're among the 1% of the world in terms of wealth. If you're making $80,000 or more, you're among the one-tenth of a 1% of the richest people in the world. Like that's the good news and the bad news here. Because there's something deceptive about money that when we start living for the more, if, we, if any one of us in this room just assume if I just had a little bit more, we become slave to the more and to the money and it starts leading us down pathways of anxiety. Because here's the truth that you need to understand, all of us today. Your security is only as strong as your treasure. Your security, my security in life how we handle the pressures and what happens to us, it's only as strong as what we treasure most. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, where your heart is, there your, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he does not want us to get to the place where we're compromised in our integrity and what matters most. So we might be asking, well, how do we know? How do you know that you're a slave to more? How do you know you're at that place where money has got a grip on your life? Again, I mean, if, you, if you've ever been tempted and maybe you've been like this, if you've had these fantasies in your mind of like, if someone could just write me a check for fill in the blank, then I'd be good. Then I'd be able to pay off my credit card debt. Then I'd be able to pay off my student loans. Then my car payments would be gone. Then the mortgage would be great. Like as soon as I, if, as long as I just have this, then I can finally get to the place where I'm living. If there's any figure in that dotted line there, you know that you're living for more. And Jesus wants to free us from that. Uh, here's what I want us to know. More doesn't free you from the anxiety of money. It never will. Check this out. These are quotes from some of the wealthiest men that our country has ever known. W.H. Vanderbilt, business tycoon of the 1800s, worth roughly $232 million in his day, which accounts to somewhere around $6 billion in our day. This is what he said. The care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. $200 million, you're like, now test me, Lord, just test me in that, just please, you know, I'll put it to the test, you can see. But he's like, look, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. He says, there's no pleasure in it. 
John Jacob Astor, American businessman and real estate investor worth roughly somewhere around 87 million in his day, equivalent to 2 billion in our day. He said, I'm the most miserable man on planet earth. John D. Rockefeller, he said, I've made many millions, but they've brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, steel tycoon, sold his company back in the day for 480 million. This is crazy. It equivalated to somewhere around 310 billion in our day. That's how much he was worth. He said, millionaires seldom smile. More is not gonna free you. We're not anxious because we don't have enough. We're anxious because we don't give enough away. There's only one antidote to money anxiety and that's generosity. So this is how Jesus continues. He says, look, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's he talking about? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. What does a lamp do? Lamp gives off light. You can see things when you got a lamp. Now your eye has been created in such a way that it lets light in. That's what, that's what eyes do. And basically what he's saying is that if your eyes are functioning well, it's gonna let a whole lot of light in. But if your eyes are not functioning the way that eyes function, you're gonna be in darkness. And he's saying how you view your money, how you view it, either means you're gonna be living in the light or you're gonna be living in the darkness. And none of us like darkness. You ever had that perilous path from the bedroom to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you have no idea what's on the floor. You got some kids in the house and they're like laid all these little mines on the way to the bathroom. Like I'm half asleep sometimes and I'll be wandering my way to the bathroom, you know, like just trying to get there and then crash. Like I'm flat on my face because I just walked into something. Darkness is not good. It leads to damage. And destruction. And Jesus is saying there's a way to view your money that leads to life, and there's a way to view your money that actually leads to death. Now, the crazy thing about this is that the word for health, the word for health is actually the root word for generous. And so it's actually been used in different ways throughout the New Testament, but that root word there actually can be used for generosity. And so what he's saying is, man, if you're healthy, you're gonna start viewing things in a generous way. That's how you're going to start getting healthy. But it's deceptive, isn't it? It's so deceptive. And I think that's what we, we need to understand. Because again, like so many of us, if I were to ask, I mean, if you were to ask me and if I were to ask you today, like, are you wealthy? Most of us would say, eh, nah, I'm not wealthy. I'm just barely able to blank, 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 blank. Guys, we're among the 1% or more in the world of the top wealthiest people in the world. But this is not what we do. We don't compare ourselves to the people in Haiti. We don't compare ourselves to the rest, like the 98% of the world. That's not who we compare ourselves to, is it? We're comparing ourselves to the person across the street who's probably got a little bit more in something else. We're comparing ourselves to the coworker who just rolled in with his sweet new bike. You know, or the person who just got the new house or this person who just got the whatever it is. Like, we often compare ourselves to the people who have more. And when we're doing that, we're again, slave to the more. And money at that point ceases to be what it is. Money's not the issue. It's just a tool. In fact, Jesus praises the ant for working hard and saving up. Saving up is not the problem. Managing your resources is not the problem. Uh, even in 1 Timothy, it says that God's given us stuff for us to enjoy. 
That's not the problem. He wants you to enjoy stuff. What he doesn't want is for us to get to the place where we're coveting more and constantly living for more because when we're a slave to the more, then anxiety kicks in and God wants us free from that. God wants us free from that. I remember when we were in uh, seminary, we didn't have a whole lot. We were living off one in- income and I called Charity, my sugar mama, uh, because she got me through school. Uh, it was awesome. She did a great job. Uh, but we had a one bedroom apartment. It was basically like a shoebox. And when we invited people over, you know, I felt like we were like, you know, sitting down together in this like tiny little square and be like, how's your life? You know, it was really, really awesome. Um, it felt a little uncomfortable having that tiny little space to invite people over and host them. But, you know, we were content. It was a sweet little life. But the interesting thing was when we got out of seminary and we were finally making two incomes, you know what happened? Our standard of living also rose because we suddenly found ourselves having more. And with more income came more stuff and more stuff came more purchases. And before we knew it, we had more money, but we were spending more money. It's kind of what we do, isn't it? (laughs) Our standard of living often climbs so high that We could be making six-digit figures and still be saying we don't have a whole lot. That's crazy. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Like we can get to the place where our eyes are not letting in the right kind of light and we're walking in darkness. We've got to understand we are rich. As Americans, we are rich. And Jesus wants us to be free. And the only way to be free is to start living healthy and healthy is generous. So for some of us, again, it's so tempting to just say, man, well, I'll give once I have. You know, if I get some more, then I'm gonna be in a place where I can finally give. I love what one author said. And if you want another great resource on some of this stuff, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. It's a beautiful little book, tiny little book, but it's just beautiful. This is what he said in it. He said, giving isn't a luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. I've discovered that impoverished Christians find no greater joy than in giving. And if you remember the, the uh, video from last week, we, we, we looked at like all those little tickets that we can, we can get, you know, to get that tiny little stupid toy, you know, when we go to arcades and we just love those tickets. And we're just like, man, if I just mass, uh, you know, a whole bunch of tickets there, then I can just get my treasure that's going to change my life. And that's what we do with stacks of, of dollar bills. But here's what the poor do. They look at their stack and they realize that's not going to save me. It, it hasn't worked in the past. And so I'm just free to give it. And that's why the, the, the woman who gave all she had was so praised by Jesus because she wasn't putting her trust in the money or the stack. She was putting her trust in God. That's where the freedom happens every time. It's not a luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. And if you see yourself at everything that you have is God's and a gift from God, That's the platform where we can start being and living generously. I love this. The luxury, not of the rich, but a a privilege of the poor is, is displayed beautifully by the Macedonian church where Paul started talking to the Corinthian church and saying, you want to see generosity in action? Let me tell you about a church that had nothing and yet welled up in rich generosity. This is what it said, ready? In the midst of a very severe trial, this is what Paul's saying, their overflowing joy... Contrast that with the anxiety that we have with so much here in America. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Not just some generosity, rich generosity. So he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. 
When was the last time you heard an American pleading to give money for what God was all about? Why did they plead? Why was it such an urgent thing for them to give? It's because they understood what money really is. It is a tool to be used for what God wants to do in this world, nothing less, nothing more. That's all it is. It's just a tool. And when you give money in a particular way that releases God's people to be a part of the rescue mission in this world, it frees you and wells up in crazy amounts of joy. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, live for eternal treasures, treasures in heaven and not earthly treasures. Guys, you know, uh, we, we talked about this, but you know, I had a couple people ask me this past week, why would you spend so much money on an egg hunt? Why would you do that? Why would you get so many people out in the field just to be able to have an Easter egg hunt? I wanted to give you a window into some of the stories that happened yesterday. So just so you guys know, a couple thousand dollars is nothing in God's economy. He's not poor, he's not bankrupt, and he's not going bankrupt anytime soon. So with us just saying yes to what God wants to do, he can multiply that a thousand times over. This is what happened yesterday. Uh, Charity and I had known this couple uh, that showed up yesterday. I didn't know the husband was gonna be there yesterday. We'd known them for two years. First time I met this guy and ever since, uh, he communicated at a deep level that he wants nothing to do with church, wants nothing to do with God. He's been burned by it all in the past and just deep skepticism about the whole thing. We had dinner at their house probably about a year and a half ago now and uh, sweet guy, but just deeply burned by it all. And he's like, I'm not going there. Um, I meet him yesterday at the field and he practically runs over to talk to me. He said, I gotta talk to you. Uh, I know we haven't talked in a while, but life has hit the fan for me and my job has gone kind of belly up. I'm scrambling to just try to make ends meet with a couple of different welding jobs that I'm trying to do on top of it. We've got no family time left in our family. And he said, I need something more can I come to your group? I need you. And this is a guy who was 100% self-sufficient before that time. The spiritual hunger that poured out of this guy was met at an egg hunt. We had another guy sign up at the registration table yesterday and one of the registration ladies came up to me and said, hey, this guy wants to know more information about our church. Can you tell him a little bit more? And he comes up to me and I'm starting to ask him questions about his story. He said, I grew up Roman Catholic. And uh, had so many questions about faith and about life because there just seemed so many discrepancies. They just didn't line up. But every time I asked those questions, my church shut me down. Just have more faith. You're not faithful enough. Stop asking the questions and just move on. Wasn't good enough for him. And so he said, after confirmation, I just walked away. He's like, I got a little girl now and I'm hungry to know these answers. Who's willing to journey with me in this? You could feel it, man. Spiritual poverty on the inside. He's hungering and thirsting for some answers. I start telling him the stories of our church and the people whose lives have been changed by us just journeying with them and allowing the truth of God to enter into their doubts that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to express the things that you're not sure about. We're gonna just journey with you in that as we tell you about the hope of Jesus his eyes popped out of his head as I'm talking about this. And he says, I'm so excited. I need this. He said, I'm so excited. I don't remember a block party that we've thrown in our city with the kind of spiritual hunger that we saw yesterday. 
And it's because we just threw a couple bucks to plant stupid candies in a plastic Easter egg. Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Why? Because their treasures were on heavenly things, not earthly things. I don't care how much you spend into your house or your car or your clothes or your your health or your technology, it's going to pass someday. And at one point you're gonna be face to face with your creator with nothing that you amassed in this world. And he's gonna ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you use it to build relationships with people so that we could engage the rescue mission and watch people far from God get introduced to their savior so it it can change their entire eternity? Or did you spend it only on yourself? Man, I'd love for God to look at every one of us in this room and to look back on our life and to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you small amounts and you were faithful with that. Come enjoy the, the happiness of your master. That's what God wants to give us. And I'm telling you right now, the anxiety that plagues us around money will never be beaten until we start learning how to be generous with our money. This is what Jesus said. He concludes it this way. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, what you're gonna eat or drink, or about your body, what you're gonna wear. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, I love this question, can any one of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? You ever stop to think about that? Like, what good does your worry do? He's like, look at the birds, let them rebuke you. He goes, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, one of the richest men on planet earth, had tons of stuff, anything his heart desired. He said, not even Solomon and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If you're worried about money, man, just take a magnifying glass up to a blade of grass. That's what Jesus is saying. It's beautiful. He said, that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, look, When you're worried about this stuff and what you have and what you don't have, take a look at some of the other things in this world, birds and grass, like they're not complaining. I don't have enough. Oh shoot, I'm I'm so freaking out about all the money problems I have. They're not like, they're not spending sleepless nights worrying about how am I gonna grow tomorrow? They just don't do that. And yet like God's gotta be looking at us like, man, they're just freaking about, about all this stuff. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've had many sleepless nights over money issues. I've been there. I've worried about bank account stuff. I've worried about how do we get out of debt. I've worried about this stuff. And God's saying, stop. Don't you know it's a trust issue? I've got your back. I'm not going to let you drown. I love you. Now, for some of us in this room, we're like, man, I I haven't felt that. How do I know God loves me? How do I know that? Because my circumstances just seem to be telling me everything opposite. You want to know if God loves you? He proved it to you 2,000 years ago. Jesus had the wealth of all eternity. God didn't have to create this world. He didn't have to do it. 
but he created this world out of love, out of a deep sense of care of human beings to put them in this world so that he could have a loving relationship with them forever. And yet humanity rejected him and said, no, thank you, God. Walked away. They said, I'd rather do it my way, God, not your way. And at that moment, God could have just wiped the slate clean and started over, but he didn't. He didn't give up on you. He didn't give up on me. And he had a plan to send his only son, his precious son, the most precious treasure that he could ever ever imagine his own son he sent Jesus into this world and the beautiful thing is that in in second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 it says that Jesus though he was rich became poor though he was rich and had everything he became poor so that in his poverty you and me we might become rich that's what God did for us he lost everything so that we could experience the riches of heaven one day And even right now to have the joy of a deep relationship with him. This is amazing. This is what happened on the cross. You ready? We worry about financial security. We worry about housing. We worry about all the stuff in our house. Jesus said the son of man has no place to lay his head. None. The God of all creation went without any housing so that he could love you and love me. And while he was on the cross, dying in our place, taking the full penalty of our sin, all that it deserved, this is what it said. While he was there, they were dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. They took everything from him. And yet Jesus was hanging on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Don't you ever doubt in the moments where financial anxiety is plaguing you and you're just freaking out about it. Don't doubt in that moment that God cares about you. He lost everything for you and for me so that we could be rich beyond your wildest imagination. God's gonna help you in your financial worries. He's gonna help you in the things that are hanging over you. He's going to be there for you. But what he's asking for you and for me is that we stop placing our devotion to stuff and money and he says this one thing but seek first seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and he says all these things will be added to you seek first now I I got to a place in my life where when we didn't have a whole lot of stuff we were living in seminary again we were living out of a shoebox you know uh, we were just trying to make ends meet and I knew that I had to be generous because that's just what religious people do so you know I'd give some money to the church but it only came at the end of the month when I knew I could take care of everything else and usually what happened was it was like a kind of a a small small smidgen of what I could have given God and felt almost like giving God my leftovers and I felt like what God after a while started saying to me is like stop treating me like your leftovers stop treating me like your leftovers Jesus said seek first the kingdom of God and this is the crazy thing when we didn't have a whole lot God started speaking to me he said no I don't want your leftovers I want your first and I want your best because in that moment I know that you trust me if God asked Abraham to sacrifice his firstborn son and he's only asking us to give a tenth of our percentage like and that's what it's going to take for us to trust him in this area of finances, man, like it just, it blew my mind. And I was like, okay, God, I don't know how ends are going to meet. I have no clue, but I'm going to give you my first. I'm going to give you my best. And so while we were poor pastors, you know, living out on the seacoast, 
we decided in that moment, we're gonna start giving 10% of our income right at the beginning of the month before we knew anything else was gonna make ends meet. And I promise you, God didn't let us go without, never. Not a single month did we miss any payments, did we miss any food on the table. And the crazy thing was in the moments where I'd have sleepless nights, it got replaced by joy. The craziest thing, even in the, the past couple of weeks, I, we've, I've had some anxiety about healthcare issues. We're about to have our fourth kid and just want to make sure that all the ends can meet at the hospital. And I had these, these lingering doubts of like, you know, maybe, you know, we're not all set the way that we are. And the craziest thing happens for weeks, God had been kind of working on my heart. And he's like, man, I want you to start opening up your home to maybe someone in need. And um, I'm not kidding you. That opportunity opened up and somebody that we've been knowing for a little while said, I'm on the streets. I got nowhere to go. What do I do? I'm telling you, man, in that moment, like everything inside of me is like, no way. This is my house. This is my comfort zone. This is my convenience. No, God, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, yes, I will. Shoot. Shoot. Like, I don't like being a Christian anymore. You know, anyway, we opened up our home. And I tell you what, I have not. I thought about this this morning. I haven't given a single thought to our health care issues ever since we did that. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's not what you have that matters. It's what you do with that that matters. God has given us riches, guys. And he wants to free you from the plaguing anxiety that comes with money. And the only way that we're gonna do that is if we start being generous towards what he cares about in this world because there are people like on that egg hunt field whose eternity hangs in the balance. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me to change their life forever. I don't know about you guys, but I want to go to the end of my life thinking I left it all on the field. And there were people whose lives literally changed because I was willing to say, yes, God, you take it all. Let's pray. God, I pray that you just help us to trust you more. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you more. There's some folks in, in this crowd right now, God, there's friends who are really struggling with money stuff. They're worried, God. Some of the loans that are hanging over them just seem crushing and suffocating. The mortgages, the credit card debt that has piled up, it just seems like it's choking them. And maybe for some of us, we just don't care enough. God, I pray that you just break our spirits today. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to see the people in need around us. And I pray that you loosen the grip that we can so have around money, the chokehold that we have. And I pray that we would do it as we fix our eyes on Jesus, who lost everything so we could have it all. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love, the depth of what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.